the Gun Dog Notebook podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. And if you want to get the most of your dog in your training sessions, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. Yukonuba's new premium performance line is built with the nutrients that dogs need to help unleash their maximum potential. That starts with providing energy that matches their efforts, supporting optimal nutrient delivery, and supporting post-exercise recovery. Check out the new Yukonuba premium performance lineup and find your dog's fuel at yukonubasportingdog.com. And of course, I got to give a shout out to AYA. So this is my thing in, in light of AYA. I'm working on an idea to discuss why us quail men down here in the south like to shoot 410s and we're going to do that in partnership with Joe Pincala of Project Upland's new uh the Gun Room podcast. So also if y'all aren't subscribers to that one go go subscribe to that, but I really want to sit down with Joe and and have a, a funny conversation about why we do some of the quirky things we do down here. Um and of course, the subject will be AYA because why would you not? Why would why wouldn't you shoot quail with anything else other than a 410 and a Spanish side by side? All right, so check out AYA at ayafineguns.com. And I guess since we are in the subject of the gun room and, and the gun dog notebook podcast. Go to projectupland.com and make sure that you guys subscribe um, to all of the magazines, all of the podcasts. They've got a whole library and and of media and podcasts and things of different subjects and, and natures. A lot of you guys are familiar with the podcast, but make sure you subscribe to Hunting Dog Confidential Magazine and the Project Upland Magazine as well, guys. All right, I want to say thanks to my next, next, next sponsor, um, Biomatrix Supplements. Biomatrix specializes in all natural products created to maximize the health and performance of your animals. Started by veterinarians, Biomatrix products are made with only scientifically proven ingredients. You can check them out at biomatrix-supplements.com. Use my promo code GUNDOG10. Get yourself 10% off at checkout guys i also want to just do a quick thank you and shout out to my affiliates dakota 283 make sure you use my promo code tgdn10 get 20 percent off your order at checkout and also for garmin i just got my new 200 i so i'll talk about that a little later on in the episode but thank you garmin for everything that you've done and the technology that you guys are providing in the field um, along with Cable Gangs, Mr. Brennan Landry, I want to thank you as well, along with your son. And of course, I want to shout out my own kennel, Cheyenne Kennels, because I'm working with some of the best lines in the country right now. Um, I just got to build them up on my own, you know, just got to do my own little thing. But I got the pedigrees that I want to work with. And I'm excited to bring these dogs up to the forefront um, Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective. We got a film coming out, and I want to say a special thank you to everybody that had something to do with that film. 
Um, so check that out very, very soon. You can look on my Instagram for a little bit of a a, a real teaser. Um, one of them Instagram reels. So check that out, guys. And here is the podcast with Miss Tracy Ross. All right. So just a little bit of a refresher reminder. Remember, so last episode, we were talking to Tracy Ross, who came down here, and Cami LCC, she came down here as well. And so that's who we got on the line. Uh, I guess it's pretty, it's, it's, it's an honor. Not I guess, I know it's an honor that, that she asked me to, to mentor her, but that's a really big, uh, it's a big, it's a big responsibility. And... I'm going to do it, you know, because that's what we're all called to do um, in this whole bird dog thing and this whole outdoor thing, really, um, is be stewards of, 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 of this place that we live, right? So um, this was just a, a nice, fun, casual conversation with Cammy, And, of course, uh, as many would, would, would agree, she survived my uh my my constant jabs of short hairs and stuff like that but it was fun i hope you guys enjoy it i enjoyed uh cammy and tracy when they were here my family enjoyed them as well and they're good folks so aside from that guys here is the episode and we will catch y'all on the flip side just got done saying that you want to start doing everything right that you did wrong with sig what does that mean and, and why yeah, do you feel like you so, did anything wrong so um just to kind of give an introduction um so uh my name's Cannon. i live in new mexico <laughs> obviously we're not well we're not a well-known state for bird dogs or yeah. upland hunting for that matter um I got into bird dogs. Well, I should say upland hunting was like my, that was my gateway drug. Mm-hmm. Bar none, hands down. Fell in love with it. Hunted for a really long time without bird dogs. So I was that person in the field that you would see without a bird dog, just kicking brush, hoping nice. I would um, flush a bird. And then I got to hunt over a dog and I fell in love with it. So let me, let me, let me, stop, you right, let me stop you right there though. Okay. You, you hunted a lot on your own now. Let's think about this. Let's go back to the original question. Yes. I got your introduction. We gonna meet Cammy, but I want I, I, there's a specific thing that I want to okay. get out your out of your psyche. Out of my okay. I want I want I want to see where this goes. You hunted okay. by yourself. So, you hunted birds. And you kicked everything up. So what makes you think that you did anything wrong? with a dog when at the end of the day y'all were hunting and if you were successful why do you feel like it was wrong so just based on the clinic that I just uh, got done doing with George Hickox and um, just talking about like things that you should think about when you have your puppy like doing basic obedience um, possibly getting them used to walking on a leash or following you in the field was definitely, you know, I was excited. I've never had a puppy before, let alone I've never had a bird dog puppy. So for me, it was all like, Oh my God, he's so cute. Look at him. He, you know, he points, he will do the wing on the string type of a thing. 
and, you know, we let him sleep in our bed and totally babied him. And he's still a big baby. But I think we could have definitely been a little bit more strict with the obedience, the recall, um, the verbal command. And so we definitely let that slide to the wayside. And not to say that he's not a great dog because he is, but I'm excited to actually be a little bit more involved and definitely have more of a like routine because I know Stig likes a routine. He's very much like, okay, we get up, we go hunt, we do this, we come back. Like I get fed at this time. I chew on my toy at this time. I play at this time. So he's very much set by routine. And I think that he lacked that as a puppy. And um, I am excited to get a new one so that I can kind of start from scratch and just be more engaged and be more involved in the developmental process with our with our next dog. Okay. So, I, and I feel and that. I, That's I dope. Also, uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, well, I also think those two, like, there's a specific bond that you build when they're puppies. Um, compared to maybe as like an, as an older dog. And I would have liked to have started him out, like, you know, going out when Sig was in training, we would talk to the trainer and he's like, yeah, the puppies, like I take them out with me and I'll just plant birds and, you know, the dogs will, the puppies will just flush them and chase after them. And just being able to see that, like discovery and excitement in a, in a puppy. Right. I didn't get to do that with Sig. And so I'm okay. excited to do that with, so, with the next one. So you're going to do it. So, cause yeah. you sent Sig off to a trainer. We, you just said that. Um, I, yep, I did. That is the piece that I was looking for. Like, what were you, what did you feel like you were missing? So it's not that you did anything wrong. Cause Sig hunts from what I understand, like the dog hunts, you've been successful. You shot birds, you killed over them. You've done the basics of, of you've done everything that was to be expected of a bird dog. But the thing yes. that you missed was the early development. Yes. And also being a straight, like green bird dog owner, being a bird green bird dog handler, knowing absolutely nothing about the bird dog world except for I know you can take a dog out with you. They can get on a bird and you can shoot that bird. But in terms of everything else that comes with it, knew nothing about. And now that I've, I guess, kind of cracked that, um, cracked that code a little bit. It's, um, it's kind of like, I want to be a part of it more. Okay. And, I, I hate that. I, I mean, I don't hate the fact that we sent him to bird dog school because I, I mean, I had no concept of what he needed. And I feel like for him to be able to do what he was bred to do, that's what I needed to do at the time. But the next dog, I would like to be able to do it on my own and go from start to finish. So. Okay. That's real. That's kind I, of, okay. I, I mean, being a new, being a new bird dog owner, I'm like, well, I want to be able to hunt over him, but I don't know anything about training a bird dog. I know nothing about, you know, um, pigeon, you know, bird launchers or check cords or, you know, staking the dog out. Like I had no clue any yeah. of this, like this is all foreign to me until 
maybe the last six months, three to six months when I've slowly been introduced to people and like training methods and stuff like that. So it was all foreign. So I was just like, yep, I don't know what to do. Okay. We're going to send them off to school and get him to a point to where like I can come back. I can get, we can get him back and we can hunt with him. And we did. And our trainer was amazing. And, um, he's exactly what we want. There's just a few fine tuning things that we need to work on. But, um, I definitely want to be able to train my own bird dog at some point. Okay. Now, okay. So it's, it's interesting to me. Like I've noticed something that I, I've noticed something about the people that I've recently come into contact with. And it is this thing. It's you it's another gentleman that just came by the house that I was doing a little bit of training with. He's got a short hair. Y'all short hair. You need people. more short hair in your life. Yep. Y'all short hair people. Yep. Keep calling me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Y'all short and, and keep saying, hey, I want to learn about a bird dog. This guy, older black gentleman, not older, like he's, he's middle aged. Um, you know, retired air force if i'm not mistaken stayed in germany makes sense why he got a short hair honestly it it, it makes a lot of sense if i'm being totally real but people are you know saying hey i want to learn about a dog and then you come up come up with your short hair having self and you say hey i want to learn about a dog but i don't know anything about this dog but i know this dog is supposed to do something right I know, yeah. the, I know the dog is supposed to point birds and I want to get it in a situation where it can do that and manifest its natural abilities. I think that is super dope. Nowadays, my experience is coming across people that are saying, Hey, I got a dog. I love the dog. I want to hunt. I want to, I want the dog to do what it is naturally inclined to do. I think it's super dope that people care about the dog's natural ability intuitively like like super intuitively you see what i'm saying i think i don't know to me i think there's something organic and there's something pure and primal about it i mean our ancestors hunted with you know we've hunted on horseback we've hunted with with dogs so i think it's it's kind of interwoven in our dna like it's just something that we have we we did for you know, thousands of years. And obviously as, you know, we've evolved, you know, we've gotten away from that and they've become more domesticated. But I mean, if you've ever seen, I mean, that's one thing I was taken aback by was being able to go out and watch people with properly trained dogs um, who had like control of them and knew their personalities to be able to hunt with people like that and their dogs. I mean, it was so beautiful and it was just breathtaking and I was mm-hmm. completely in awe and I was like I mean you know as a hunter like you know you go out you're by yourself potentially you know you're with your weapon you go and you harvest your animal now add another element into that what's the next step is hunting with another uh with a mate with another animal and then you get to like the next step and I think that's like falconry now you're doing a bird and dog like yep. there's just these levels, I think, of this idea of this majestic 
ideology we have. And I fell in love with that. And I yeah. just think it's amazing to be able to partner, have a partnership with another mammal and to produce something. I fell in love with it. And now I'm a complete like, you know, hi, my name's Cammy. I'm a bird dog addict. <laughs> like I've thrown myself in a <laughs> like. And I mean, and you know, I've thrown yeah. myself in 110%. Like I don't yeah. do anything like half ass. It's not 50%. It's like, oh, it's 110%. Like yeah. bar none, hands down. Like well, straight up. Well, um, let, let, like, let, let me love t- the what love. Let me tell you something. If, if, let, let me tell you something. If it means anything to you, based on your energy and your determination that I got from hanging out with you, I don't think it's not a damn dog that's gonna want to buck on you and not tell, not not get in line for what you're trying to tell it to do. Okay, so I hope so. <laughs> you are, you are, you got the drive, man. Like that's dope. It's cool, and. I just really feel like, you know, based on, you know, us hanging out and you 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 were asking the right questions, you know what I'm saying? Like the energy is there. And it it's it's really cool to see like where you'll end up going from here. You know, because shoot, man, I still got that same kind of energy. Like I'm not that much farther removed than you are. You see what I'm saying? Right. And and it's 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 cool to see you come in and you say, Yo, look, I wanna go learn and you're you're putting in the, the groundwork, the footwork, you know what I'm saying? And it's dope. Like that's super dope. <laughs> There's just something so romantic about it. Like you can't tell me that you look at a, at a beautiful bird dog and watch it point. Um, and not tell me that you don't, you just, I mean, anybody who would say, Oh, like, that's not, that's not a, that's not, that's not pretty or that's ugly. I mean, there's gotta be something wrong with them. Cause I mean, it is just, I mean, people painted, uh, painted pictures of these dogs, these hunting dogs, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And there's a reason why, I mean, it's, they are, it's beautiful to watch. And I'm like, just completely in love with it. Like, I just think there's something so beautiful about it and being able to have a relationship with another animal and just like being on horseback, being able to command a 1200 pound animal, um, and be in control of it. I mean, there's definitely a sense of like respect, but there's also a sense of, you know, you have a sense of power and, you know, you're working together with this animal to have this amazing outcome. And I just think there's just something so pure and um, just, like I said, romantic about it. I don't, I just, I can't explain it. I think people who are in the bird dog community or they're definitely interested in it. There's a reason why, and there's a reason why we stay in it. There's a reason why, you know, one dog turns into two, two turn, turn, two dogs turn into six, six dogs turn into 12. I mean, you you just, you never get enough. I feel like you just want to go, go, go all the time. It's addictive. Like you wonder how people have a bunch of dogs. Like I wonder like Neil, like, and I'll, I'll, you know, one of these days I'll introduce you to him. You come down to Thomasville with me, hunt. You'll 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 meet him. But he has eleven dogs. You know what I'm saying? Like this dude is 
you know, 70s with 11 dogs. And you wonder, like, how do people keep going? You know, like, what what is it about this whole thing that makes you, in your old age, and, and, and it, you'll see, Cammy, like, people that deal with dogs live a long time. Have you, like, you'll see. They live a long time. And it's something that is just inherently gratifying, you know, about working a dog on birds. I don't know what it is. I think that to your point, like, you know, there are pictographs like, you know, on, on caves and stuff of people, you know, and dogs, especially in the early Americas. There is something yeah. unique yeah. And, and something distinct about human nature saying, hey, like, look, this works, you know, and, and I'm always looking for imagery. But like, I don't know, man, I. I, it's 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 a, it's a gratifying thing, but you know, really, I'm one of those folks that I I kind of look back on parallels, and I and I was always I think when we first got to know each other, because um, I met you through Josh Ryder, and yes. one thing that I was always you know really curious about, and I think I asked you this, I don't. I don't, you know, but it was more out of curiosity was like, what dogs that native, like, how did Native Americans handle dogs? That's something that I'm really interesting in and interested in, like, decoding. You know what I'm saying? Because we think about the people that were, were first here and dogs completely populated this continent. So, like, how would right. that have been used, you know? Well, being Navajo um, and being from the Southwest, we we do have dogs, but I don't think they were as prevalent as, say, like the Plains, who the the terrain, the topography, the um, the weather was a little bit more forgiving compared to being like in a extreme like desert condition where you have you know fluctuations with 110 degrees in the you know, during the day to drop down to like the forties in the night. Um, but I think it was definitely one of those things where dogs were definitely a part of the lifestyle. Everyday life, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, they went with you. If you, if you went somewhere, they alerted you if something was wrong, but I mean, that's how dogs first became domesticated. I mean, you look back, you know, thousands of years and, you know, you can look back at, you know, excavation sites and, you know, they find, you know, dog um, bones and how they, I guess, hypothesize how dogs became more and more domesticated over time as they became more and more exposed to, um, you know, homo sapiens. And it's just something I think we've naturally evolved in. It's just, you know, dogs are just a part of our, our life now. Like, it's just it's just so common. It's not unheard of to have people, you know, nowadays it's like, Oh, do you have kids? And it's like, no, I have, I have two fur babies and people don't look at you like you're crazy when you tell them that you have two fur babies and they're uh -huh. like, Oh my God, what kind of dogs do you have? Like, it's so, it's so and then we, normalized yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me, and I, and I mean, and like, 
dogs have been around for thousands of years. So it's just one of those things that I think to bring you back to your point about um, Native Americans, but I think each tribe, obviously each tribe is very distinct in their own cultures and their own values that dogs may have been seen differently from one tribe to another. And that would have been based on um, tradition, beliefs, geography. Um, I mean, there's so many things to take into to take into consideration when it comes when you're talking about dogs in that kind of um, time frame. Right. Now you said now, and you pointed out being Navajo specifically, like that is <laughs> your background. Is there anything that my, dog? My, Go ahead. Yeah, my tribe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm half Navajo. Um, on my dad's side and then half Caucasian from my mom's side. Okay. Now, you know, in talking to you and hanging out with you, you have a very, 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 very strong connection to your roots and beliefs on the Navajo end of things. Now that I did get from you. Is there anything though in, I guess, Navajo history? And I don't want to stay on it too much, because I got 50 million different questions that I, I, I want to ask you about everything that happened from last time we hung out till now. But like, okay. in Navajo, is there anything that indicated to you that like, oh, okay, like dogs were actually relatively important? Are there like stories or there is there like imagery that, that might have indi- indicated like some kind of significance there? I'm curious. So, so yes, actually there is. So in Navajo culture traditions um, are to kind of set things up. So Navajo is never, was never a um, written language. It didn't become a written language until um, after world war II with the Navajo code talkers. Um, so up until that point, um, our language was, we were a verbal um, storytelling tribe so stories would get down would get passed down um by oral tradition of storytelling so as storytelling goes we have the trickster which is a coyote also uh in navajo he's known as mahi and so there's a lot of stories based on like you know, the creation of the Milky Way or like why coyotes have yellow streaks under their eyes because coyote was always getting into trouble. He is the trickster in Navajo folklore. And so he is obviously a canine. And so he's very, so dogs or canines are very deeply rooted within Navajo tradition and culture. So they talk about just as a, like, quick synopsis of, you know, um, Coyote was hanging out one day and he comes across, you know, um, there's this group of animals from the forest. I mean, they're probably, you know, you know, bears and birds and all these other different types of animals from the forest. And they have all these stars laid out on a buckskin and they're trying to place the constellations in the sky. Well, they, they didn't invite Coyote because, you know, he tends to cause problems. You know, trouble is not far behind. And so he ends up finding out their secret meeting place. And, you know, he keeps 
you know, he finds them and, you know, he's talking to them and he's like, oh, I want to, I want to put some stars in the sky. And they're like, no, 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 no. This is very like, you know, very specific. Like, you know, we, we're putting this constellation here. We're naming it this. Well, he gets, you know, frustrated and upset that he's not a part of it. So because they won't let him play stars, he grabs the, the buckskin and he just throws it up in the sky. And that's how the Milky Way was mm. made in in Navajo tradition. So it's things like that. Um, there are definitely, you know, much, many more stories that involve coyote and how certain things became that way. And it had to do with the fact that like coyote had gotten involved. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. Now, Cammy, why didn't you tell me that when you were here? Because that was a super dope story. <laughs> Yo, like, mean, that's I mean, really cool. Just thinking it, about it on a grand scheme, like, that's dope. Like, essentially, Coyote is the founder of the universe. Like, not in that way, but, like, just in a sense. In, in a sense like, you know? Yeah, he's always, he's always around. He's always, like, trying to get you into trouble. Like, he's that person in our folklore that like you're just always kind of cautious about and depending on different families and the different region of um, the Navajo Nation which you were raised you know the story obviously is going to change on you know who told it to you and then how it was told to them because obviously as you know you know through oral tradition things do get changed you know over time and so that's how I was told the story um, by my dad and I don't know if it's exactly how it was told to him, but that's how it was told to me. Is there any version where short hairs cause the problems? <laughs> I'm pretty sure there is somewhere <laughs> in your world, Darrell. Because <laughs> I want to hear about that one. Like, who told that story? Because that's those are the guys I'm trying to hang out with. Okay, so. <laughs> well, look, this is what right. I want. This is what I want to know. Now you've had a lot of ex- you know I got to go into horses. I I I think you got my affinity towards work and performance horses, and you have a background there. We can go a little left field. What a, yes. is is there anything over the time maybe that you were working dogs with me, working dogs with George and Josh? Is are there any parallels that you might have seen between working a dog and working a horse? Oh, I mean, for sure, especially you know with my short hair. Um, there, there's just there's so many similarities. I mean, you can't let them get away with anything. You have to let them know that if you ask them to do something, it needs to be done, and if not, there's a consequence for it. And you know, maybe not so heavy handed, but um, at times, but I, I definitely see it for sure. Like you can't let that animal, um, I guess, take advantage of you. And so me being, have, have me having grown up on, with horses, I know that like when you get on a horse, like if that horse, you know, is like, oh, I'm just going to sit here while we're on this trail ride and I'm going to eat. It's like, no, you're not. I'm going to rip your head up every second that you get. And if you still disobey me, I'm going to, turn you around in a couple circles left and a couple circles right until you realize that that is not acceptable behavior. And so there definitely is a correlation. I mean, literally 
you know, the Plains Indians considered horses like big dogs, if you think about it. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're literally going from like maybe an animal that's 55 pounds to an animal that's 1200 pounds. But I mean, they're, they're still very much reliant on you to feed them, to water them, to take care of them and keep them safe. And so they, I inherently think they do want to please you, Yeah. but they're also going to test their limits. And if you let them get away with stuff, then they learn that that's okay. And they're going to keep doing it until they get to a point where you're just going to be like, this is, I, I can't deal with this. This is ridiculous. Like I give up. And then they've won. Mm. Now, over the last few weeks with Sig, mm-hmm. have you noticed any changes yeah. in your own behavior towards him that's gotten him a little bit more compliant because he knows his handler a little yeah. different? Yes. So, um, as I had mentioned, I had gone to, I had a chance to go to Iowa and yep. um, do a clinic with George Hickok and Trinity Kennel. And I was lucky enough, I was able to take my dog, Sig Sauer, who's a one and a half year old German short hair pointer on a 2,500 mile trek across the country. And um, <laughs> was able to get him, seriously, like round trip, 2,500 miles. Like, yeah. God bless his little dog, he's tall. Um, you, you he did it. well. But, you, you in it. Oh, I told you 110%. Like, there's no, uh, there's no, you know, I'm going to do it halfway. So um, just learning stuff, like not, you know, if I ask him to do something, I should only have to ask him to do it once. If he doesn't want to do it that once, then he has a consequence for not following direction. And so I would say one of the things is him going into his kennel. We had, I had worked on it, worked on it with him sporadically. And then I learned, well, it has to be something that's constant and consistent in his life he has to know it by this one word and he has to know that if he doesn't go in that there is a consequence and so only telling him once and not twice so um as george as a hickokism would be like no no twice twice you don't tell a dog to do something twice right so i came home and i've started you know i've been definitely working with him on his kennel and um because of that he has kind of moved out of the family bed and is sleeping in his own kennel now. And I think that's definitely changed his personality. He's not as stubborn. And I think he kind of knows that like he can't get away with as much as he used to, because I've, you know, mom went to school and mom, mom knows what's, <laughs> what's best now. Mom got an education. Yep, mom even got like a certificate that said I graduated <laughs> from the George Hickok School. So, you know, if you get in trouble, I just whip that out and point it, show it to him and be like, um, remember. All right. Mom went to school. So, so my mom knows now. Yep. So, yep. I, so I, I definitely I definitely see a change. Okay. Okay. All right. Even so, though it may it may it might be minor and people be like, That's not anything. I'm like, that dog has been sleeping in the bed with me since he was a puppy. And I know people are probably going to cringe at that and be like, oh, my gosh, you don't ever let your bird dog sleep in the bed with you. And I'm like, but he's my first baby. Like, oh, well, he's my, my hey, little look, pride. He's my little pride and joy. Look, Cammy, I, I guarantee you the majority of my audience are more like you and less crazy like me. 
I That's gar- right. I'll take it. <laughs> I guarantee take you. It. More of my audience lets their dogs stay indoors and or sleep with them than, you know, the the cruel person that I am. So, you know. I don't I don't think it's cruel. I just think it's more discipline and, you know, people think of like, you know, I tell them I'm like, he sleeps in the bed with me. And they're like, Oh, that's so cute. And I'm like, No, you don't understand. He hogs the covers. <laughs> he hogs the bed. Like it's not he's not he's not curled up like in a little ball at the foot of the bed. I'm talking like this dog literally right. straight it, on full rigor mortis, all four limbs sticking yeah. out, like pushing you in the back, like so you're sleeping on the edge of the bed so that's this fifty five pound short hair. Uh huh. He's sleeping in the bed like he paid bills. Yeah. He's sleeping in the bed like he paid bills. Oh. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. so for him to sleep in his kennel, I think is is been a lot healthier for me it's a lot healthier for him especially when we travel then he has a place where he can go he's secure he knows that it's safe and that like it's his own space and so i've definitely like that's something i took away and will continue to use so that was huge for me and that's i think it's been a slight shift in his psyche but i also think you know having like you said a um like a regiment and he knows what's going to happen and he knows where he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do. Yep. So let me ask you this then, since you got that. Okay. Outline the matriculation of thought from the time that you came down here, some of your insights to the time that you went up with, with, with George Hickox. Oh man. Um, so I had signed up for the training with George Hickox probably, man, it must've been like maybe four months ago. Mm-hmm. Had no clue what to expect. I've never, I had never been to Iowa before. So, you know, I, I paid my, my registration fee and just kind of forgot about it. And then I had the opportunity with Tracy to come down to Georgia to meet you. Um, and I had no idea. Um, I kind of thought like, oh, maybe, you know, we'll do some bird dog training and, you know, we'll get to shoot a couple times. But it was definitely a whole like on a next. It was like on the next level. <laughs> like I tell people, I was like, I was like, we were up until 1230, one o'clock in the morning every night. And then we were up like six, seven o'clock the next morning. And we we're ready to like rock and roll and do it all over again. Because mm-hmm. we we're trying to obviously... We're there for such a short amount of time. I think we were there for three days, two to three days. And so we had a very short time frame to get so much in. And obviously, you know, as a previous podcast with Tracy Ross, you know, we had a lot of stuff that happened that we did not expect to happen, um, which one of which was the passing of Miss Q. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I had heard about um, like when dogs stomachs twist and like, it's unfortunate and you know, you hear about this stuff, but you don't ever experience it. So had you told me like, you know, before I met you been like, Oh, Hey, you, you know, this is going to happen. I'd be like, you are crazy. Like, no, there's no way I would ever experience that. Like not in a million years being super green and naive about stuff. And then it actually happening. And, you know, Tracy and I are literally out there in your backyard, unfortunately. <laughs> a heck of an introduction. Digging a, yeah, digging a grave for this 
dog and I mean she was the sweetest dog like I was so happy that like you, you know you were super excited to find her a home and she would have made a great like companion oh, somebody yeah. who you know for somebody's family who could have taken her out and like just had this amazing life because she was obviously just didn't have that that drive that we would love to see in a bird dog and this tragic event happened and I mean it was just one of those things where like it opened up conversation about I mean life and death and you know the dark side of things that can happen when you when you have animals it's just like when you have horses and you don't want them to colic and yeah. I mean there's just these things that sometimes I think people forget that happen yeah. um, with animals or just in, in in basic you know basic life you know being a paramedic I mean life and death is one of those things like I deal with on a daily basis and so I was coming there to have like this grand old you know, amazing time, which I did. Like I learned so much and I'm so thankful that you like let Tracy and I totally invade your space for an entire weekend. <laughs> Y'all were cool, um, man. I, I appreciated it. Come on back. But I mean, if anything, it's just watching you with your dogs and how you handle them and like the relationship you have with them. There's just, there was so much respect um, that you have for your, for your for your animals and you can totally tell that they love you um even though they have to sleep outside um <laughs> they, they love you regardless and yeah. i was just i mean there was just so much like i mean from you know tracy and i like i mean driving through legit like ghetto of atlanta to going to a 450 acre, I guess, uh, farm or like, I guess it would kind of, I don't know what you call it, like yeah, little farm, homestead yeah. to like, yeah, farm to like um, get birds, get dogs on birds. Like that was, I mean, there's just, there's this stark contrast that you would never think you would go to Atlanta and have an experience like this. Yeah. And I was so excited, like talking to you and just listening to you and like your insight and all this information that you, this, you're just like this wealth of information and you're, you know, fairly new into the bird dog community. Um, I think you said you've been doing it for like roughly five years. And before mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you know, you train pit bulls and I have a pit bull as well. And so, you know, there's all these, all, obviously these like little connections that we had had and, just to be able to like relate on so many different levels. And then we had this experience and with the dog and there was just so much I took away from it and it just fueled my addiction even more. <laughs> and, you know, so then I literally went to Georgia one weekend, came home and came back to New Mexico. And then the following week um my dad and i and my short hair loaded up and we drove to iowa and that was in an itself an experience my dog has never gone on a long road trip maybe the most was maybe three hours when we had taken him to the trainer and dropped him off and then when we brought him home so he's never gone on an extended extended trip so in and itself that was a whole learning experience of okay, I'm going to have to 
you know, he can't ride in the back seat with a seatbelt. He's going to have to go in his crate because this is just insane. I can't go 1,500 miles with him being a psychopath in the back seat. Right. To learning about his behaviors inside of a hotel room and reading his cues of like when he, you know, when he wants to play, when he wants to go to the bathroom or when he just wants to go outside and, and chase freaking moths mm-hmm. because they're flying around the light. I mean, it was such a learning experience. And then we get to Pella, Iowa, which is this small little town um, in the Midwest. And, um, you know, kind of in the heart of Amish country and totally different demographic, geography, um, just a lifestyle. The people were so nice. Mm-hmm. I cannot get over how nice everybody is. Like, I'm just so used to, I guess, like the stark, you know, kind of brutality of like the Southwest. You know, we're kind of very like straight and to the point, And, you know, people are very, very, very nice. I was, I was like, whoa, what's going on? Um, <laughs> I was like, all right. What's what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. Um, But it's just a different lifestyle. Totally something that's totally normal to them where I'm, you know, I deal with, you know, uh, lots of different lifestyles in a day. And so getting out there and and being able to like interact with George, I had heard of him, you know, I've seen some of his videos, I've read articles and, you know, he is like the guy, like the guy mm-hmm. right now. And he's got this amazing dog bolt and he's won all these like dog of the year and these national championships and, you know, very prestigious dog and trainer. And so to be able to like have a one-on-one conversation with this, with this trainer who is supposed to, you know, who is this world renowned trainer and be able to say, Hey, what do I need to work on with my dog was just kind of like unworldly. Like, I just don't think that maybe to me, I don't know. Um, I just don't think that maybe that's like a normal thing. Um, in the hunting or the bird dog community. Cause I mean, being new, I'm not really, you know, I don't really know how easy it is to like get a hold of, you know, George and be like, Hey, it's George, not. I have a question for you about my, about my dog. And I'm over here having, you know, beers and pizza with the man, like on a Saturday night talking right. to him about my dog and asking him, like, do you think, you know, I could run trials with him? What do you think about like this food? What do you think about like this training style? And he's literally telling me, he's like, Oh yeah, well, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And so I mean, maybe I was a bit spoiled, but I mean, it was definitely. Well, what's what what's unique is I don't know a lot of people that would have put in the amount of miles on the road as you have in such a short amount of time. And the, the amount of miles on the road early on and soon enough to where it'll have a significant effect on your dog at this point. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, yeah. my dad and I were kind of having, having like the same conversation. And I told my dad has always been one to tell me, he's like, if you're going to do something, you don't do it half ass. You do it all the way. So like when I became um, an EMT basic, he's like, 
well, is that as high as you can go? And I said, well, no, you can become a paramedic. He's like, well, you better become a paramedic then. And so to me, it's like, if you're going to learn, you better learn from the best in the business. Like, you know, there's no point in putting time and effort in somebody who maybe teach you, maybe teaches you not like the greatest way, or maybe it's not like the best way to teach your dog or it's not the right thing to do. And so I'm all about, if I'm going to learn, I want to learn from the best. And so for me, my dog is an investment and I've already put so much money into him and into the sport that it's totally worth it to drive 2,500 miles round trip to have my dog be trained by the top trainer in the country. But it also was so much more than that. Like I got to take my dad with me and we got to go on a road trip. He got to see a whole different side of my life that he may not necessarily get to see. Um, because, you know, he's never gone up, upland hunting. And so there was just so much more about it that it just, it wasn't just an opportunity to change, to train with George, but there was just so many more aspects. Like I got to meet Josh and I got to meet his family and I got to see the kennels and the love and like the dedication that they, they have put into these dogs and this kennel and just learn about this whole world. I'm so naive. Like, I mean, I talk to people about, about it and I'm like, I mean, I'm like, you, you have no, you have no concept. Like I feel so naive because I'm thinking like, Oh, you just get a dog and like, that's it. No. I mean, there's so much stuff that goes into it. I mean, there's training, there's, you know, the tools that, you know, the basic tools that you need, there's nutrition, there's like, you know, you know, point drills and, you know, getting your dogs on, you know, pen raised birds versus wild birds. Like there's all this stuff that I'm learning and I, I'm loving, but at the same time, you're just like, I feel like, you know, there's just all these levels that you can go into when it comes to bird dog. Yep. Absolutely. 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 Well, I mean, like, look at you. (laughs) I mean, you, you were training pit bulls. Had somebody told you like five years ago when you're training, you know, when you're training pit bulls, they're like, all right, so so in five years, you're going to have a super successful podcast. <laughs> you're going to be doing, you're going to be doing X, Y, and Z with Orvis and, you know, Project Upland. You probably would have looked at them. I like would have looked like, man, crack. I would have been like, you are kidding. And hell no, you lying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, mm-hmm. five, if you had asked me this six, let's go six years ago, just to even the plane. No, I had no idea that any of this stuff, like I understood it existed because I went to school in South Georgia, but I I didn't, I did not understand the magnitude of what all this was. You see what I'm saying? Like it, yeah. And I mean, now that you like, you know, and you're like immersed in the community, in all like honesty, like you are somebody who is like, is like paving the way <laughs> for people, for literally like people of color. Like I, I personally know maybe a, a small fraction of minority upland hunters. Yeah. Most of them are, are, are men, but I don't know any 
minority female hunters. And so just to be able to like get involved with, um, you know, hunters of color or people of color who are into, you know, hunting or conservation or bird dogs, whatever it may be, outdoor recreating or angling, like there's this whole new like surgeons of minorities getting involved. And I'm assuming that's probably one reason why you started Minority Outdoor Alliance. Well, let me, let me ask you this. And this is really something that I, like you and I have spoke quite a bit about bird dogs. I I feel like, you know, I, because you speak to Ashley too, a lot. And I'm like the bird dog guy and she's like all business, right? Like it's, it's, it's so funny to me. Um, we are striking. She's, she, she's the business. <laughs> she's the business, and you're the party in the back. Yeah, you know. <laughs> All right, and then the last thing, guys, when we talk about keeping dogs in shape, um, you need the three omegas, but not all three omegas are created equally, and Biomatrix really focuses and harnesses in on that. Um, so omega-3 has got anti-inflammatory properties um it's good for cardiovascular and autoimmune health brain function and bone joint and stuff like that skin and coat um then you got omega-6 that provides energy for the cells and coat quality and sheen and stuff like that but you need to think about it if omega-6 has a higher concentration than omega-3 then it causes an inflammatory response in the body. Too much omega-6 equals inflammation. And of course, Biomatrix is keenly aware of that. And then the last one, omega-9, it's responsible for cardiovascular and neurologic health. So basically keeping the system running at full capacity, keeping it strong and and keeping all the, 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 the smaller things, the microscopic stuff like in check. But anyway, Biomatrix wanted me to let you guys know that not all omegas are created equally, and I think that's really dope. I actually didn't know any of that information before I got to um, speaking with Julian. So thank you, um, Biomatrix, and uh, check them out, guys. And if you go to biomatrix-supplements.com, you can use my promo code GUNDOG10 and get yourself 10% off at checkout. And of course, of course, of course, y'all have seen the clips and the promos and a little bit of stuff on my social media um, with that funny fancy gun and me, 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 me talking a little trash to Austin. Um, but yeah, man, it, it check out AYA guys and, and get yourself a Spanish double gun. It is nice. Um, so nice that I felt that good about talking trash on camera. Um, for this new upcoming Project Upland film that we have uh, going on and it's it's getting finalized and so on and so forth. But anyway, I felt so good about that gun that I decided to lean back and, uh, you know, send a message to Austin, you know, as we were there. And I think AJ got a kick out of that. So check out uh, ayafineguns.com and go... Go see. I, every time I see that scene, I just get a, a little bit of a kick out of that. But the gun is nice. Um, and I think I have like a Spanish fine gun addiction now. So this is only the beginning of those. But check them out, ayafineguns.com.
Back to what we were saying. The Minority Outdoor Alliance. Minority October. Outdoor Alliance. Yeah. All right. So yeah. we, we've got this event. But you've come in in a very short amount of time of, and, and have gotten to know my wife, have gotten to know me, and you've been pretty monumental behind the scenes, Cammie. And so, like, I... I, I mean, would, I... I, I, you, I mean, anybody that's been on a phone conversation knows you're there, but like, you've been like an, an, an extreme amount of help for getting us, you know, kind of going and off the ground and stuff like that. So, like, I'm curious about your motivation. Like, what do you want to see out of Minority Outdoor Alliance? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I'm, I am just excited. Like when I had spoken with Josh or Josh had reached out to me because um, he, I had seen their post about the scholarship that we were doing for Minority Outdoor Alliance um, and had kind of talked to Josh briefly about it. And then he slowly introduced me to you. And from there, you know, we developed this amazing um, relationship and then you were so gracious um, to offer me a position on the board of Minority Outdoor Alliance. And from there, I am just excited to be a part of something and an organization that the sole focus is to make the outdoors a more inclusive space for everybody, regardless of gender, of color, political views, um, economic status. Like it's, in all inclusive space. And sometimes I feel like one organization may, may be like, Oh, we're all about, you know, X, Y, and Z where another organization is like, well, we're about, you know, um, JK LMNOP. And I feel like minority outdoor outdoor Alliance is one that like, it's all inclusive. There's no if, ands or buts. It's a to Z everything in in between. And the, the board, like the diversity of the people you have within your organization is speaks for itself. I mean, you have people who are located throughout the entire central United States. Um, you have people who are from the Midwest, from the South, from the Southwest to um, the Northeast, mm-hmm. to the West Coast, to the East Coast. So you just have this broad spectrum of people well with that comes you know different ideas different agendas um different perceptions on maybe the issues that they're seeing in their region but you also have you know a a great mix between um male and female board members the ethnicity behind them is amazing as well and just the the excitement and the motivation to like actually create events to include people, the education aspect of Minority Outdoor Alliance. There's just so many things about Minority Outdoor Alliance that is amazing. And I am so humbled and was like so like taken aback and surprised that like little old me, I'm just over here like <laughs> doing my thing. Um, and, you know, Josh 
is like, oh my gosh, like I know somebody that you need to talk to. And from there, it just kind of, you know, snowballed into this amazing friendship we have now created. And we've had some crazy experiences together and you've let me into your home and you know Ashley is amazing and I've got to meet your family and really know what you guys are about and to see the like excitement and the fire and just like the all around like you guys are great people and you guys want to leave your mark you want to leave a legacy and I think that's amazing and I wish more people would take a page from your book and want to say, hey, I want to leave this so that when my kids grow up, they can say, you know what? That's what my parents did. That's pretty awesome. Like, that was their contribution to society. And I mean, you just, you don't meet people like that. I feel like I rarely meet people like that. And to be involved in something like this, it's just exciting. And it's motivating. And I'm now like, totally have like go headfirst into the whole bird game or the like the whole bird dog upland side of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, mostly part because, you know, I met you and now it's just like, you know, it's a, it's a problem. But I mean, I would say like, that's, I mean, that's why I think minority outdoor minority outdoor Alliance is so amazing. And I mean, I know it's still very, very, um, in it's like infancy, but I mean, the ideas in which you and Ashley have and the like idea of like, you guys want it to be this amazing national organization where you have chapters in every state and you have people who are super excited to be involved and want to be involved. Like, I'm kind of one of those people who are like, I think on a huge scale, like grand scale. And then yep. I'm like, okay, how do I make that happen? And then you break it down and you do stepping stones to reach those goals so that, it, so you do reach your, you know, your monumental goal in the end. And right. I'm just super lucky that I'm, I'm like a part of. Well, you are. Um, Minority Outdoor Alliance. And I, I don't like titles and stuff like that because I never remember them, first of all. But then I, you know, it just it just never like I understand there's formal documentation and stuff like that that I sent you. But like, Cammy, you've been like you're literally there on the calls and like making stuff happen and reaching out and doing the outreach part of it. And I, I just can't thank you enough for doing the hard work, you know what I'm saying? For literally like you're coming in and I'm like, Hey, look, I want to start this organization. Wanted to be a nonprofit. And, uh, we got a lot of work to do and you just jumping right on in. But you have to have people like that though. Like I feel like, um, regardless if you're getting a paycheck or not, if you love something, you want to, infect other people like Mm -hmm. i i you know most people would probably look at my my instagram and my my facebook and if i had told you that i am a huge animal advocate like i was like could have never thought of hunting anything or harvesting an animal Mm -hmm. the last you know six years ago 
people would be like, oh, you are so full of it. You've been hunting your whole life. And that's not true. Like I was a huge, like, you know, my mom, you know, love her to death, but you know, I mean, she's a, you know, you know, she talks about PETA and like, you know, all Cammie, these like, are you crazy, a hippie? like, are you, are, are you a hippie, Cammy? No. Are you a hippie? Are you secretly <laughs> a hippie? Just, 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 just a little bit. But, um, <laughs> You're secretly a hippie, Cammy. That's like, what's going on. I get it. But, I get it. I, I see you. But like, I like to be able to tell people like, hey, you, even though you didn't grow up hunting, this is possible. And mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, you know, I mean, a lot of times we get a negative side of things because of the brutality potentially of the sport, but but let's, let's, of- so let's let's talk about this. Let's let's really dive deep into this, Cammy. And I think that okay. you're the perfect person to talk about brutality because you're an EMT. You're the person that gets called yeah. when I get shot. Yep. You're the person that gets called when I get shot. Let's just I be mean, re- You should you you should hope that I show up on your scene. <laughs> Are you the life giver? Is that what was that was you know that was going to be the title of this podcast is life giver. Um because of uh, well, I, I was it you or was it Tracy that told me the story of the life giver? I don't remember. Uh, I'm going to say that's probably that was probably Tracy. I don't think that was me. I heard there was a lot familiar. There, there was a lot of stories that that first night. But anyway, um, yeah, there was. There was a lot of stories, but you're Cammy the life giver now. Okay, you're okay. The, you're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the paramedic. You're the person that comes in that we hope that shows up. Why do we hope that you show up, Cammy? Oh, um, because I know how to do my job, and <laughs> I like to think that I I I like to think that I do it well and efficiently. And, you know, that's my type A personality. And I know Ashley 100% can get behind me where, you know, yep. her and I are one and the same when it comes to, to getting the job done and doing it right the first time. You, you know why? In, you know why? You, you know why I want you to show up already? I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm going to let you go. But you know why I want no, you I'm to fine. show up already? Because, because in your description, like I just asked you for an elevator speech about how you can save my life, and you mentioned efficiency. <laughs> you mentioned efficiency. I want you to. I want somebody that's efficient to save my life. That means you do it on time. I'm here for it. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no, mis- there's no mistakes when it comes to when it comes to that kind of a situation. You either do it right, and the person lives or they have a much better outcome than they would have or you do it wrong and you potentially kill somebody like in the medical field regardless if you work on an ambulance or you you know work in an er or a clinic or whatever like your direct actions have significant consequences and you cannot go into a you cannot go into the field that i'm in and not be a little bit like, you know, I mean, you've got to know your shit, like hands down, any, any medic, any doctor, any nurse, any EMT, firefighter, police officer, you know, there's a little bit of cockiness that comes along with the job. Because if you don't have that sense of like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to save your life. Do you, you know, you, you have somebody who comes in and they're like, Hey, I'm here to save your life. Or you have somebody who comes in and they're like, 
hi, so um, what's wrong with you? Who are you going to pick? <laughs> I mean, in reality, though, like, I mean, you have to have a very strong personality to work as a first responder, regardless if you're a firefighter, you work in law enforcement, um, like, you know, in the medical field, like you have to have a very strong personality. And I mean, you have your good days and you have your bad days and you have to take it as it comes and you can't take it home with you. And so like, I, I kind of carry that in, into other realms of my life where if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do 110%. I'm going to get into hunting. All right. I'm an adult onset hunter. I, am now like hugely involved, like in the conservation efforts, like we, you know, I, I get involved. I, I do everything I can to educate people. I'm currently in the process of like starting um, a hunting program with a veteran group and a all native women led company here in New Mexico. I'm in the process no. of mentoring. Don't skip over that now. Give the details. Don't skip over that now. Go ahead and get the details now. Um, so I am also um, work with the New Mexico Wildlife Federation, and we're in the process of working with a company or an organization, nonprofit called Impact Outdoors, and then another nonprofit called Native Women Lead. We're all working together um, to come up with a inclusive hunting program where we bring people who either have no experience hunting, maybe they've never shot a gun, but they're interested in gaining the knowledge and the tools necessary to be able to maybe harvest an animal at some point. And so we want to make it as inclusive to everybody. So whether that's, you know, veterans, disabled veterans, minority women, minority youth. So we're slowly working on building a program for that. But then I also recently had an opportunity where I am um, going to mentor a 13 year old male on his first elk and deer hunt here in New Mexico. Nice. He's never, never harvested an animal. He's gone turkey hunting um, unsuccessfully. Really doesn't really have any like um, like range time. And so I'm literally donating my entire time to go out and start to finish. Get him proficient with his weapon. Teach him to um, break down an animal. What it's going to take. Um, getting him trained to go into the backcountry. And so I mean, there's just all these like little concepts where. I'm somebody, I don't do anything like, you know, like I said, I'm not somebody who does it half-assed. I'm in 110%. And I mean, hence why I came out and saw you and Ashley. I wanted to know who you guys were, yeah. what you guys were all about, see the raw, the real, and be like, You damn sure I got that. Now, you. you did get that. You got all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I, I felt like it was an extreme importance to me. If I'm going to be a part of something I want to know the people that I'm involved with because in order to get other people excited and to get other people involved you have to have that um that connection with the people you're working with and in relaying that information to other people people pick up on that and they can truly genuinely tell if you're passionate about something 
So let me ask you this. Okay. I want you to tell me, like, <sighs> all right, as 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 the official general community outreach manager of Minority Outdoor Alliance, all the fancy titles, right? All that. Right. Mm-hmm. As Cameo CC of Artemis, and we, I want to talk about Artemis too, so I'm gonna keep you up a little bit longer. As you've got, you got a resume, like you've been doing this kind of work for a very long time, and it's interesting. And I'm gonna tell you why. I'm, and I'm gonna get to my point, but I'm gonna tell you why I'm really interested in you. I feel like from the moment that you were learning hunting, you were advocating for hunting. And it's, there, there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of, you see where I'm getting at? Have you thought about that? Yes and no. Okay. So, um, I think that when I initially got into hunting, um, I was very raw and moldable and trying to take everything in, trying to learn everything from, you know, upland to small games to large games to waterfowl, like trying to take it all in. And um, as I kind of learned, you know, from different, you know, different people and different like styles and skill sets, you take what works for you. And by nature, I'm somebody who is extremely giving and I love to teach people. And I feel like you can relate being a teacher. Yep. There's just something so energetic when people engage with you on a level about something that you're extremely passionate about and they just want to know everything there is about what you know like if they could they would probably like you know like suck every all the knowledge out of your head absolutely because they want to be just as good if not you know and once i realized that there was this whole other world beyond just going out and harvesting an animal and there was this whole like conservation side education like you know hunter education just so much stuff it's just like just like with bird dog training there's all these layers you 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 learn about stuff and so slowly like you you say i've been doing it for a long time to me i'm like i've been hunting for six years i've been in the conservation game for probably about four years give or take and um to me that's just that's such a small time frame compared to people like you know shane mahoney who has right. been doing like conservation stuff for, I mean, probably longer than I've been alive. Right. And, um, but I've tried to align myself with organizations that I fully 100% agree with, like, and I believe in, and that I can talk to people about and really have a, that they have like a true sense of purpose and like they're actually out there wanting to, you know, make things better for everybody. So like you said, I am an Artemis ambassador. I'm the 
Central New Mexico brand ambassador for Artemis. And for those uh, for those who listen, who are listening who don't know what Artemis is, Artemis is a sports women's organization um, that is umbrellaed under the National Wildlife Federation. And their whole like mission is to get more women involved in the outdoors, whether that's hunting, angling, or just basic outdoor recreation. And it's an extremely inclusive space and, you know, just makes it so that women who may not feel like they have a way into hunting, angling, that's kind of their, their way in. And then from there you network and you learn about the other women in your area who are involved in Artemis and we host events and we get together and offer trainings and education and hunting opportunities and angling opportunities or just basic outdoor recreation opportunities. Same thing with the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Um, I've been aligned with them for about two years, two and a half years, and have just been doing lots of conservation stuff based in New Mexico, whether it's, you know, a political, whether it's educational, um, whether we're hosting, you know, a bar event where we bring people out and say, hey, you know, come out, drink some beer. Let's talk about, you know, this issue or let's talk about, you know, mining or, you know, this national forest or the ban on trapping. I mean, there's just so much stuff that like you can go out, you can harvest an animal, but there's so much more tied to it than I think a lot of people realize. But you got to start somewhere. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. It it, it absolutely does. You, You have to start somewhere, but like, I guess what's really dope is like when I started hunting, I didn't, necessarily know about a lot of conservation organizations and getting active and stuff like that. I just wanted to go and shoot something and not, I mean, not shoot something out of greed, but like I wanted to go and shoot something for the thrill of shooting something because why the hell doesn't anybody want to shoot anything? But also, you know, I thought there was a bigger purpose. I did. So I don't want to just make it as plain as that, but you know, there was no Yeah. Sorry, there's the whole butterfly effect. Like, um, I recently became involved with an organization called um, the North American Non-Life Partnership. And, you know, um, Chris Parrish, he's amazing. If you guys, if the listeners don't know about the North American Non-Life Partnership, go to their website. Amazing. Um, He literally drives around, Chris Parrish literally drives around the country, does demonstrations on the significance of using non-lead versus lead. And I know people are stuck in there, like, you know, people have used lead for, you know. Are we still arguing about that, though? Are we really still arguing about that? Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously, this guy drives around, and he gives demonstrations and shows the difference, the significance of, like, hey, if you use a non-lead bullet versus a lead bullet, like, here's your wound channel. Here's like, you know, the force of impact and like what's going to happen to your bullet. But just the fact that like, if you use a lead bullet and you shoot a, you know, a large prey animal, you know, that bullet, that lead bullet may disperse into, you know, part of the animal that you're not necessarily going to harvest that your gut pile. Now you've got that animal, you leave that gut pile out 
and now you have animals who are going to come and scavenge, whether that's um, birds of prey, that's, you know, cats or coyotes or whatever else is in the area. And now those animals have a potential for, um, you know, ingesting lead into their system. And there's just, there's just so much stuff that you just like, don't even think about, like, you know, that you could make an impact by choosing, you know, choosing to spend three or four more dollars when you buy a box of ammo. And there's just so much stuff that I think like we're just now kind of, you know, bringing to the forefront and this just comes with time. Yeah. Well, you've got to, you've got to have an investment. That's the thing. I think, like, yeah, yeah, sure. We've got to be invested in conservation. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Like, that's that's dope. Like, absolutely. But what's going to get somebody invested in conservation? Let's be real. They're going to be invested because of something they've seen or something they're doing right. that they want to keep doing. Or exactly something they want to continue to do. Right. And, and I think that's how you, 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 you engage people. It's like, you love doing this. Well, what if I told you you couldn't do it anymore? Right. People are gonna be like, "Well, I'm gonna do it. I'm I want to do it regardless." And it's like, okay, well, in order to keep doing it, like maybe you think about doing X, Y, and Z and to uh, perpetuate to, to, to right to take care and manage, mm-hmm. you know, the situation. You know that's yeah. all right. So. so let's let me let me swing that back to Minority Outdoor Alliance. Okay. It's the same thing. You need numbers, Cammy. Like it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you need numbers like you need people to say, hey, look, like there are, you know, active, engaged and skillful representatives in your demographic that are doing this. And that is one of the reasons why I called on you to say, hey, look, do you mind being a representative of this very new organization? Because what I what I want to show is what I'm now coining to myself the Jordan brand theory, right? It's not rocket science. Okay. I'm not nobody famous, but what it is is, you know, when I look at folks here, particularly black kids, black kids didn't buy Jordans because they were from Nike. <laughs> black kids bought Jordans because. Michael Jordan was was rocking them. You know what I'm saying? They're his shoes. So the logic being, if we have people demographically, if we have proficient people across the board that are that are active and doing everything, and we're all across the board demographically working toward the same goal, don't you think our conservation efforts will be a hell of a lot stronger? You see I, what I'm saying? One hundred percent. No, I totally, I totally agree with you, but I think we're still, we're still transitioning. We, you know, I mean, they talk about you. I mean, you hear all these like studies about how women are one of the fastest growing um, participants within the hunting community. They're one of the fastest growing um, parts of upland hunting right now. And now you, you know, if you're on social media and you follow the hunting community, you see the surgeons of minority hunters, but, anglers, outdoor recreators who are getting out there. Right. And so are you more apt to get involved with somebody who looks like you 
or are you going to be a little bit more hesitant if like you look at a group of people and you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't see anybody that I can um, necessarily identify with. So it might make somebody who is a little bit more reserved. Maybe they don't have as much experience with cultural diversity. Um, they're not like me who I can, you know, I can go up and talk to a doorknob. Like, I mean, I'm super social and outgoing. Like it doesn't matter to me, but I know that there are people who are definitely like that. And so I think we're getting there. And I think we're definitely seeing that happen with the new newer organizations, like, you know, minority outdoor Alliance and, you know, more companies being more companies being created, like, you know, um, hunters of color, or you see more articles about, um, you know, people who are involved in the hunting community, but they're also part of the LBGTQ community as well. Like mm-hmm. we're seeing more and more of that. And I think people get inspired by that. Yeah. At least that's what I would like to think, especially well, our generation, the younger generation, they're all about inclusiveness and, mm-hmm. you know, making changes. Well, let's let's think about it like this, right? Like, let's think about hunting at its core. Hunting at its core doesn't matter whether you're male or female, right? People are going to hunt because you have to survive. Hunting doesn't care about your orientation. Hunting doesn't care about your race. It doesn't care about your gender. It doesn't care about. So why have we made it a thing? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like, why have we made it something that mattered across a certain demographic line or a certain uh, 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 gender ethnicity line or something like that? And it's not that everybody doesn't do it. It's about the fact that not everybody is seen. Right. And- well, think about who a long time ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago before, like, you know, back when we had like kings and queens. Right. Who was able to go hunt? on those lands only the wealthy exactly and the majority of the wealthy were caucasian men who were property owners were allowed to go hunt on the king's land so i think that was just one of those things that has been instilled generation after generation was it was just something that the upper crust of society did because it wasn't seen. I mean, people have been hunting for thousands of years, but once we kind of evolved into not having to do it for survival anymore, and now it has become more of a sport and more of like a game, it was seen as like a luxury item. Right. And then through evolution of like, you know, people coming over to the Americas and, um, people hunting i think it was just it's just become something that was just like that was something that you know upper upper middle class um caucasian men did it wasn't something where you know you didn't see a lot of women hunters you didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of minority hunters and even i'm not saying that there weren't cuz i'm pretty sure there were oh it's you plenty know, of well, I, I, I was i was going to back your story up Everybody hunted. Yeah, Everybody exactly. hunted. Everybody hunted. It yeah, was just it, about yeah. who was seen doing it. Who it was accepted. 
acceptable. Right. It was acceptable within society to right. hunt. And so I just think that that's something that's just been per, um, perpetuated throughout the generations. And now as like, you know, political tides change all like as they always do. And like with the, things that have been happening recently within the country within like the last five years, you've just seen this um, push for more inclusivity. This, you know, people who may not have had as much of a voice, you know, five, 10 years ago have now have a huge voice and people are taking notice Mm -hmm. and, you know, whether you're, you know, African-American, Native American, you're Hispanic, you're, you're Mexican, you're, you know, whatever your origin is within this country, we literally are. I mean, that's one thing that makes, you know, the United States greatest. We're literally a melting pot. Like, but let me, let me, let me, let me catch you. Let me cut you right there. Can I cut you right there? Yeah. No, you were getting like, you were getting super deep. And like all of that, <laughs> into, I, into the rabbit, into the rabbit hole. No, yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know me, Cammy. I'm about the rabbit hole now. I'm one thousand yep. oh, percent yeah, about we can it. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> you and I know that, but I want to cut yep. you right there because that was something okay. that I was thinking about, and 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 it meant something to me. You pointed out the fact that Minority Outdoor Alliance, our board is incredibly diverse. Now, as the co-founder, along with my wife, I told Ashley, I said, I want a board that literally looks like America. I I wanted somebody from everybody to be on that board, right? I don't care what it took. Yeah. I don't know how many people it was going to take to be, but that's what I wanted because I wanted a variety of experiences um, across, you know, it, it's the idea of the alliance, but I want to target something that you you you've been touching on the whole time, but I think is really really important. What do you think the that let's you're in here now and you asked me to okay. mentor you and I'm a, I'm gonna give you yeah. a home run effort. I'm gonna give you everything I got, but I want to talk about now since you're here, Cammy. <laughs> What is the impact? What do you think the impact can be or will be? What do you want to make it be of the Native American voice on the upland bird hunting culture? Do you understand what I'm asking? I know that's a very large question. That's why I asked. That's a very large question. Well, first and foremost is that we're still here. We are here in present day America, like 100%, there are tribes in every state, like we are present and we are accounted for. Um, and I know people probably think like, well, why would you, why would you make that statement? Um, speaking from personal experiences, I went to a very prestigious boarding school on the East coast and there were people who had never met an actual Native American and you know they didn't you know you learn about what happened through history of what happened to the Native Americans multiple tribes like especially on the East Coast were completely wiped off the map and so 
first and foremost, like we're here, we're present, we're accounted for. Like we um, we're very proud. We are very patriotic people. And I think a lot of people sometimes don't associate that with, but I mean, I know for sure being, being Navajo, I can't speak for other, other tribes. Um, but I know the Navajos are extremely patriotic people. I mean, a vast majority of my family have served in the military, like have no question serving, you know, their country. But also the fact that, um, you know, we, whether we were naturally hunters and gatherers, whether we were hunters, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, we still want to continue traditions regardless if it's more of a um, masculine-based drive or if it's a feminine-based drive. So in Navajo culture, and I would say probably the minority of Southwest cultures, um, it's taboo for women to actually hunt. And so I, you know, I had talked to my dad about it and my dad and my family as a whole being a matriarchal society, you know, talking to my aunt who was the matriarch of our society uh, or of our family and, you know, mentioning to her about like, you know, wanting to hunt. She gave me her blessing and explained certain things that, you know, she would be involved in, she wouldn't be involved in things that we would, you know, we could and we couldn't do. And that as small as, as small as it is, there is a, there is a population of female Native American hunters who are so interested, especially after COVID. Um, I mean, cause now you start talking about like food sovereignty and being able to provide for your family and um, the, the food scarcity that we felt in the Southwest and certain populations for sure, people weren't able to provide for their families. And so I think it's that there's definitely an interest and people want to learn, but there's also a lot of cultural ties. There's also a lot of things that need to be taken into consideration to do it in a respectful way. Um, and that. I don't know any other Native American females who have bird dogs. I am the only one that I know of right now. I would love to know if there's more out there. Like I would love for them to contact me on social media and, and I would love to invite them to come to um, this annual quail hunt we have in February down in the boot hill to join and like show other women like, Hey, this is totally possible. And you know, I'm a minority and, um, you know, this is what I do. This is how I do it. These are the kind of dogs that I have. I just want to share my knowledge. But I just, I want to educate people regardless, man, woman, adult, child, that um, being, you know, a Native American female might make me stand out and being a Native American female hunter and a bird dog handler, even more so. But to me, it's just one of those things where it's kind of like anything's possible. 
there's no limit to what I can do. And there's no limit that to what anybody can do. And I am just wanting to share my love, my passion, my knowledge for conservation, for hunting, for upland, for all of it. Um, to anybody who literally will listen to what I have to say. Heck yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that I don't know if that answers no, your question, but I'm just like I, I like the way you finished that out. All right. I'm here for a big dog. Okay. No, seriously, I really like the way that I mean anybody that's willing to listen, right? Like Yeah. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting because like Tracy has, you know, talked about it and I don't she kind of talked about it, I think has touched on it a little bit in the last podcast was um being an adult onset hunter, obviously I didn't grow up hunting, which means that I learned skills over the last five or six years from people I've engaged with within the community. But because I've been able to engage with people, I've now been able to take that information back to my family um, onto the Navajo reservation. And now it's daughter taking father out and taking my dad out on hunts. And, and it's kind of that like, well, y'all have made it a tradition now. Yeah. This this year, um, um, if anybody draws um, out of the four brothers and myself, um, we will be on our fourth year of going out to the Navajo Nation to harvest an animal. So, yeah, we have turned it into a family tradition now. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. So, and I and I want to know if 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 your dad had any insights about you, you know, after the Hickoks seminar but let's talk about how different you know it might have it was not might have been it was for your dad hunting you know the necessity like it the practicality has changed between you and your dad oh yeah for sure like i'm not doing it for survival i'm not doing it because if i don't harvest an animal i'm going to starve so the the whole concept behind the way my dad and I hunt is completely different. Um, my dad was was born on the reservation, and when I talk about born on the reservation, I talk about he was not born in a hospital. He was born out in the middle of nowhere, um, where he grew up. Um, I think they say he was grown. He he was born like in the cornfield or in the melon field, something like that. Like it's it's all very confusing between the brothers. But um, uh, my dad grew up not speaking English um, or writing English. He grew up speaking Navajo. Um, no running water. No electricity. No vehicles. Like he was taken. Um, from his homeland when he was about four years old and stuck in um, a government boarding school. So, and I mean, this is relatively like 19, like early 1950s, this all happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just to give, just to give people a perspective, like that was the life in which my dad grew up in. Um, so for him at a very young age, it was all about legitimate survival. And so he tells me of, you know, they never hunted for big game. It just was not something that was practical by, by, I guess you would call it um, 
traditional standards, Navajos are hunters and gatherers. So you would have a winter camp, you would have a summer camp. You would herd your sheep from one section of, you know, range to the next for, you know, whether it was winter or summer and you had your little like um, lean to that you lived in and cooked in while you, while you cared for the sheep because the sheep and the goats were your livelihood. That's what they, you know, that, you know, if they slaughtered or they would make blankets or, you know, there's just all these things tied around the hunter, hunt, like the gather, the, sorry, um, the like herding lifestyle. So when they did hunt, my dad talks about being very young and his uncle who lived across the canyon would come over and say, hey, it's going to rain. We're going to go hunt prairie dogs. And my dad tells of a story of being young and his uncle literally sitting him down in front of this prairie dog hole and telling him he cannot move until one of those little prairie dogs sticks its head up out of the hole. And my dad like hits it over the head with a stick to, you know, knock it unconscious or kill it. And they would do it during the rainstorm because um, if you were from the Southwest, you know, obviously when we get rain, we get flash floods. Well, the flash floods would flood the prairie dog holes and that would force the prairie dogs out of their hole. And that was the most opportune time to be able to harvest them so that you could eat them. Now, fast forward 35 years and we're out there hunting with, you know, a high powered rifle and we've got, you know, binos and we've got scopes and we've got range finders and we've got all these aids to help us be better hunters. And so it's a totally foreign concept, I think, for my dad in trying to transition um, into hunting big game. And I remember the first time we went on, when we drew our tag for the Navajo reservation and I cringe at thinking about how many times he slammed car doors, how many times he told me he had to go to the bathroom. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, oh, my God, he's going to scare everything away (laughs) in this general vicinity. But over the years, it's developed into where, like, my uncle, who is 80 years old, I mean, we're taking him out. He's glassing. He's got his little rifle scope. He doesn't even have it mounted to a rifle. He literally takes it. He holds it up and he glasses. And that's what he does. And, you know, I don't correct him. Like, that's what he does. Like, that's what works for him. And he tells us about, you know, oh, I saw an elk here or I saw an elk there. And, you know, they'll come to water here. And because he knows his land and he knows the way the animals move and, um, he's climbing over fences and climbing under fences. And I mean, it's just one of those things where everybody, I look at everybody talks about stories when they were younger and they got to go hunting with their, with their dad and their dad taught them how to hunt. But I feel like I might be a little luckier because I'm, I'm much more older. I'm much more mature and I really can, um, absorb and like really really truly appreciate the time that i do have with my with my uncles and my Mm -hmm. dad and the experiences that we get to have together and to me i think that's something that i would want to like carry over 
into Minority Outdoor Alliance or Artemis or the the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Like, it's just being able to share it with people who are willing to go out and put in the time and the effort and just sharing your passion. Just like you let Tracy and I come down and invade your space for an entire weekend because we wanted to know all about bird dog and hunting. Come, come on down. Bird dogs and upland hunting. Yeah, yeah. bird dogs and upland hunting in, in Georgia. Because who knew? I didn't even know. Like, there was a whole thing in, like, southern Georgia. Like, I didn't know anything about plantations and, like, the quail population and, like, the black um, handler trials like I had no concept like that was all completely foreign to me until about a month ago and and you and see you gotta go cause you gotta see Vegas get work done um, you gotta see you, <laughs> right? gotta, you yeah. gotta you gotta see Vegas get out there and whoop up on Curtis I'm gonna say that now I told you about that but um I mean that's the whole thing about it Cammy. like you know I got into bird dogs because I really wanted to travel right like I I Mm-hmm. I haven't really been a lot of places outside of Georgia. Like, I mean, I've been on East and West Coast. You know what I'm saying? I've been to North and South. But I ain't seen nowhere that's like that I wouldn't just go like the prairies. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to, I'm going, I'm I'm trying to make it out to Montana if I can this season. Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get Jug Man broke. You know what I'm saying? Like, for real, for real, on some for real mm-hmm. wild birds. But like, you know, I got into bird hunting because, you know, I, for a lot of reasons, but one of those reasons was was I wanted to travel, man. I wanted to see something else. So, I guess now would, of, of all places would be a good time to talk about traveling and wanting to see something else, and you can do that again with Onyx Hunt. Uh, the Onyx Hunt app has... Honestly, when I look back through it, all the places I've been scouting and, and even in the multiple states, like I've, I've logged stuff in and I didn't really think I hunted that much outside of Georgia. But looking back at it, I've got a couple of spots on the Onyx, on the Onyx uh, app, you know, in my waypoint saved and stuff like that. But anyway, um, check out Onyx at, and, and download the app. Get yourself a subscription and use my promo code GDN20. Get yourself 20% off uh, at checkout, guys. All right. The other thing that I wanted to uh, bring up. So I just actually found my uh, snake boots. It's, it's like that kind of season, like that time of season, I guess. Or, you know, when I got to bring my snake boots out, that lets me know it is getting hot is what I'm trying to say. Um, and Yukonuba. They are always, of course, on top of stuff like that. And they, they really look out for us folks down here in the South. And, and just wanted you guys to know that exercise induced, and be aware of, but exercise-induced heat illness, or HRI, can affect even the most well-conditioned bird dog. I think I got pretty good-conditioned bird dogs, and, and they're, they're very heat-tolerant, but it can get them too. Um... You know, a dog's drive can basically override his ability to recognize that he's heating up. And once he's pushing it too far, then he gets dangerously high. Um, his core temperature gets dangerously high. And 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 you gotta you gotta watch that, man. So just be mindful and that was something that Yukonuba um, wanted us to be aware of and check him out at Yukonubasportingdog.com backslash H R I. 
thing. You got to come down here, do the horseback thing. Oh my gosh. Like I would love to do that. Like I think you said in March. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited because I think that's just a whole, it's like you, like I said, you start out with hunting and then you kind of think about like, okay, well, what else can I do? And then you end up getting into bird dogs. And then like, I know, um, I'm an amazing falconer or actually hawker here in New Mexico, Tyler Slayton. And like yeah. he, he, yeah, he has his hawk and I'm just like, I want to do what you do. How do I do that? And it's just like one step at a time. And then it's like, you know, when I went down there, you're like, well, how come you don't hunt off a horseback with your dogs? And I'm like, um, that is just not something we do in the Southwest. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like, you I, don't do any... I don't want to make it seem like I do it all the time, but I do it enough to be like, damn, this no, is just easier, yeah. you know? Right. And that's just what you guys do just based off of your, whether it's like your topography, your, like, just the style and the tradition in which it's developed. But out here, I've just, I have never seen anybody hunt off of a horseback, off of horseback with bird dogs. And it's just something that out here we just don't do. If we do, I haven't seen it. I don't know. I'm not saying that it's not possible because it totally is. And I mean, shit, I would love to um, be able to hunt off of horseback with my dog and um, my horse at the same time, but that is like next level shit. Like straight up, <laughs> like, um, give me two years. Let me see where I'm at. And then, you know, we can start incorporating, you know, that whole next level. Cause I mean, ideally I would love to compete and put put SIG into some trials and just kind of see like what it's like, what that whole lifestyle is about. But I'm so green. I mean, that dog Sig, right. based on what you've told me, because you know he got some range on you. Told me that the dog wasn't scared of running. Oh no, he's not. For, he's not scared of running. So, so I definitely he'll push out. But I think he's also. I've also babied him, so he always wants to make sure to come back to make sure that I'm okay. Now, now more for me, me than for him. Let me, let me ask you something. All right, so we're going to deviate, Cammy, mm-hmm. and I'm going to wrap this thing on up, but I got okay. a bone to pick with you, man. Since you say <laughs> since you say you too soft. You uh, you keep saying, "Oh, I'm yeah. too soft." But then, we was on the phone the other day and you were like, "Oh, I'm going to send I'm going to send Sig down there with you." Man. I, I am out of sight, out of out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> I am, I am saddened that you think that I have to be the disciplinarian. I got to be the detention teacher for bird dogs. <laughs> I think I can get there. I think it's just going to take some time for sure. Like, you know, it's like your first child. Like, yeah. I don't have kids. I have four ba- I have four babies, just to clear that up. But, but I'm assuming from everything that I've talked to you, the first kid is always the one that's like spoiled and yep. like you don't you know, you're worried about like doing stuff wrong. So you're yep. always like much more attentive. And then you have the second kid and you're like, Oh man, this is a piece of cake. I don't even have to do half of what I did with the first kid to like make sure I get this right. And when I so, tell you, Cammy, that first I, kid, you'd be like, Oh my God, I don't I don't wanna break him. The second one it just <laughs> Like, You're like, well, how far can I get? Can I actually take this? If I just, all right, I'm gonna yeah. go to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if I just let you crawl, like maybe they'll figure out how to not do that again. Like, 
The second one is always a, you know what, Cammy? I, you're gonna get yourself another dog, and I'm not oh, gonna. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep you know doing the mentor thing, even if you get another short hair. But I'm not. Oh, gonna, I plan on getting a. I think it might be a short hair pointer mix. Oh my so, god! We'll Ew. You get like yeah. Quasimodo for bird what? dogs. <laughs> All I it's know like is that the hunchback trainer... of Notre Dame for bird dogs. What? Oh my gosh! No. Why would I you do? Why would you take? From... Why would you do that? <laughs> why would you mix? Because I well, so the so short hairs. Look, not... hey, hey, hey! Check this out. Watch the short hair people get pissed off. The short hairs already got enough of our pointers in them. Why would you do that? <laughs> well, that's because because I want a very specific bird dog. Like it probably sounds so pretentious. It no, probably go it goes against it. I go, it probably goes against anything and everything. It goes really against me as a mentor. Solid. I just want you to know. But go ahead. That's. That's fine. I can offend you all I want. Um, <laughs> I really want, for for whatever reason, um, I really want a solid liver, um, short hair. And my trainer was talking about how I've, I'm I'm I would say like seventy five percent. I think he was saying he was gonna he was gonna breed his his pointer to a solid liver short hair in Colorado. And so we were gonna get one of the solid livers from that um from that litter. But don't hold me to that. But I really, really I don't know why. Don't I don't know where it came from. I think it's just like the like un like I guess not natural, but just like um, not popular. You don't see a lot of solid liver short hairs, mm-hmm. and I just really want a solid liver short hair. And I love. But I, you want I one mixed with my pointer with, mixed with what I got. I that's fine, but I'm just saying I love my short hairs. For all my people who own short hairs, I got your back. I love my short hair. He's crazy. He's a little velociraptor. <laughs> he opens doors, but I love their little shit to death. Like, and I honestly, I'm like, I'm like, I don't know if I could, I mean, I could probably maybe do a pointer. I could maybe do, um, you know, other bird dogs eventually. I mean, I would love to have a mixed kennel. Like I'm talking about, like, I would just take one of every, every single bird dog out there and just be like, yeah, this one does this one. This, this dog does this and this dog does that. But I mean, that's like so far far down the road but um Cammy. i think i um, don't hold don't hold that to me but I, i'm pretty sure that's what Cammy. what the, the, the trainer's doing what is it gonna take what? for me to just get you a white long-tailed love- dog why why would why do you you don't want to you ask me to mentor you but you don't want to follow instructions I love my little short hair velociraptors, man. I mean, it hurts my feelings that I, you that you just won't. You just keep. Come on, man. Maybe one day, maybe one day, but until then, I really, really want a, a solid liver short hair. Like I don't know. Like I just, I think they're so. 
he's my he's my drug of choice right now. That drug no, of choice I, may change, but as of right as of right now, I am a like short haired addict. You know, you know, and what? I know and I, and who I, have, have they have they have they have one, they have two. So if I if I had to get a short hair, I'm gonna tell you this: if I had to get a short hair, I would get to your point a solid liver or. Like I would get a, a Kurtzar, honestly. Like a, 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 the German stand, I would get a Kurtzar. But I also like the short hair that's got the liver head and the, the white body. When all I like that too. Somebody that you will like and enjoy talking to is my buddy Philip Maley. Okay. His, his short hair. I said I tell Philip all the time. If I ever had to get a short hair and that's a heck, no, I'm not going to do it. But if I ever had to get a short hair, if I ever, 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 ever had to get one, I said I would get one off of his dog, Cole, right now. It's a solid liver short hair. Um, very talented dog. No doubt. Very, very, very talented Um I cannot remember the kennel name because it's Vom Holdenberg, something like that. But it comes from a very, very, very nice pedigree. Um, nice. And Phillip's a good dog. He's he's a good dog, man. I'll have to introduce you to him also. But y'all would enjoy each other's. No, y'all would enjoy each other's company. That would be great. Yeah. No, I'm all about meeting other people with short hairs. I I don't know how I ended up knowing you. Oh my gosh. Short hair people, and then hey, I I took advice I took advice from so I actually think I took advice from people who own pointers, uh-huh. and I had asked them. I said, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting a bird dog. In your opinion, what breed do you think is the most versatile? Because at this point, I'm thinking like, oh, oh it's get a absolutely dog that does short hair. Cute. It's absolutely <laughs> hands down yeah. a short hair. Yeah, yeah, like." Like he'll go duck hunting with me. He'll go upland yeah. hunting with me. He'll do this. He'll do that. And everybody said, get a German short-haired pointer, get a GSP. And, you know, I listened. And so now I have a short hair and, um, I mean, it's going to be real hard to convince me otherwise to not continue to buy short hairs. All right. Well, that's dope and all. I guess I'm going to have to go duck hunt with you. I guess I'm going to actually have to go duck hunt with you. Um, right. And see. You know, we'll figure out. So, look, we got to figure out now a trip to make sure that we get out on these birds. So we'll talk about that later on down the line and stuff like that. But I want to make sure we get out on a trip and, you know, keep hanging out and continue fellowship and stuff like that. But Cammy, I have really, 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 really appreciated your, your passion and enthusiasm, man. Like, you know, you hit me with questions that I don't really think about on a daily, you know, I just don't, you make me think about stuff that I need to be thinking about as a handler. make you use a part of your brain that you don't necessarily, yeah, necessarily I mean, use all the time. I mean, you've been here. Like I kind of, I, I work my own dogs, you know, um, mm-hmm. I like what I got and <laughs> I, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's two something makers. Like, I mean, it ain't a fortress, but it's a fortress. You know what I'm saying? Like I can kind of just mind my own business. 
and and do what I need to do with my dogs. And so I kind of get into a rhythm. And you, because you are ask you're you're challenging me challenging me with questions that I otherwise would not be thinking about because I get into my own rhythm. And I, and I think that's, that's part of the men, mentor mentee relationship though. But I mean, there's, there's people you're going to meet who are just as excited as me, but their way of thinking or training is going to be completely different. And they're going to ask you, um, you know, a question, but it might be phrased differently or, you know, and I think that's what makes it exciting and to be able to have people who are extremely interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it and wanting to be a part of, you know, what you're involved in. Mm-hmm. So, well, you got to come down here and, and I got to get you out. Yo, so I'll see you in October and then I'll see you in March. You will. You will. You will. You will see me in October. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I got to figure out a way to get you here in between October and March, though. I got to figure that out. I got to figure that out. But um, what I was going to say, yo, you'd be impressed with Jug, man. You'd be impressed with him. That Joker got some he handles on him. He is. He is. But he got some handles on him now. And the Joker there is he's starting to point now. Oh yeah, it's 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 you like him. I think you like Jug, man. I already liked him before he pointed, so <laughs> you know he is. He was just a big old, big old, big-headed bird dog, just super lovey. Just wanted you to rub up on him, and uh-huh. he was just all happy just to be there and be a part of what was going on. Did I tell you that bastard bit me in my ass the other day? No, but I saw the Instagram post about it though. Uh huh. That damn bastard. We were working, and I he was whoa working. I mean, getting it down. That joke. Now that joke didn't know how to stop on the dime. Now, like I tell you that. That joke there. When I say whoa, he gonna stop. And um, I say whoop. He, you know, stop. Do all that stuff. Well, I thought everything was cool. You know, and so I go and I walk in and that joker and, and I, looking back at it, I can picture exactly what was going on. The joker slowed down and I wasn't paying attention. I was walking around. just I just thought he was being a dog, you know, on the lead, slowing down, being a dog. That joker walked up and bit me on my, my ass real quick. I said, boy, if you don't dare, he let go. <laughs> I said, boy, if you don't get off of my ass. <laughs> like I don't know what it was about, but he damn he, he he got me. He was just making sure you knew what was up. I guess so. I guess that is I I guess that was what was happening. Um but nah man, he's getting it. Um I ran him probably about a week after y'all left. And he handling to my singing now. You know, he, he's, nice. he's, he's, he's in there. So I like him, man. He, we're going to start I'm just saying, there. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, a short hair, you know, by back, by baptism of fire. So, I mean, that's cool. It, you know, I was going to write this article, Cammy. you talk about baptism of fire. You know, I like them. I like my religious references. You know, I, 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 yeah. I, I get into church and all of that. I was going to write something about cult of fire. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was going to have to do with plantation or um, prescribed burning on plantations and the cult of fire that is quail hunting in the South. All right. I'm thinking about it. Sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole, like living out here, we don't have plantations. That's something that I would technically like think about, but it would definitely be something that I would be like, huh. Interesting. I didn't know about that. Something right. to broaden my horizon. My I, horizon. I, you know, it's it is. I like to do stuff like that. I like my old crazy religious references and 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 the. I don't know. I th- I think there's a thing about human nature that like, whatever you care about, right? Like you get like super deep and super invested in it, right? Like. I think there's a point. I mean, I don't know. Some people would probably say that, like, I get involved in stuff and then I'm just like, you um, know, 110% take, in. And, I, I think you have your, you take me as the kind of person, Cammy, that has her limits. I do, but I think that limit's real far out, depending on what it is. It's not shopping because you told me that. You know. No, but like the bird dog. I bought the bird dog. I put the bird dog to to school. And then the bird dog, um, I didn't want to leave him at home. So then he went to daycare. And then that turned into, oh, I need to outfit my truck. So that way I can travel with him and hunt with him. So then I did that. And then I got him a really nice kennel. And now I've got like, you know, I mean, the damn dog has a subscription box, two subscription boxes every month where he gets toys and treats. Like I sometimes take it to the limit for sure i'm just trying to tell you but, cammy i'm look 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 can i can i can i try to sell you one more time cammy yes let me try to <laughs> let, me, let me try to sell you on a pointer one more time all right all those, <laughs> all those now the whole time that you were here did you ever see a subscription box for any of my pointers at the front door no, but no. I also have a pit bull too, and she likes her subscription hey, box. Okay, hey, I, I didn't say we're not talking about pit bulls because I be I'm the same type of person. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about pit bulls. That pit bulls deserve teddy bears and and hugs and all kinds of stuff. We're not talking about pit bulls. We're yes. talking about bird dogs. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's keep our focus there. Did you see a subscription box? Did you see bundles of joy and love and all kinds of stuff like that for my bird dogs? No. If you had got a pointer instead of an old extra needy short hair, you could leave them in the back, okay? You can build a kennel. You can put them out there, and they don't care about anything else. They don't want your pillows. They don't. The worst that you got to do is worry about cleaning up poop. But they will hunt for nothing. They don't want to do anything else but hunting. You, on the other hand, got this old extra needy dog that, you know, requires bed sheets and and downy and, you know, and, and whole foods. You know, you know, you, you got to You got it. You have a non-GMO dog, Cammy. I have a I have a dog that I would say people within 
my generation can totally relate to. <laughs> they are our ba- they oh, so are, you're gonna put a generational card. Our, okay. Gotcha. Yep, they are they are they are our babies for us who do not have children. They are literally like I I joke about it and i you've heard me say it, but I literally work because my dogs have become accustomed to a lifestyle to which they are accustomed to and now I must keep them accustomed to that lifestyle. <sighs> Amy, so, I didn't. I didn't know I had but, to buy. Um, I didn't. I didn't know I had to buy princess crowns and stuff for my dogs. I. I, I just didn't know I had to do that. No, just, just, just beds and bark boxes and <laughs> you know, all kinds of all kinds of fun stuff. But no, I genuinely I love my dogs and I spoil them and I probably shouldn't as much as I do. But I mean, you know. It's, I'm a first-time bird dog owner, and I've, you know, but but it's not know, even that. Honestly, you you know what, Cammy is. You know, I like to talk trash. I do. You know, I do. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But, your shit, your shit eating dogs. <laughs> they are the shit eaters. They are they are affectionately yep. known among my friend group as the shit eaters. Like I pull up, and they be like, yep. "Oh, Darrell, they're Darrell with the shit eaters again." Like, but yep. <laughs> and you were witness to it. Okay. But at the end of the day, Cammy, however you love your dogs is how you love your dogs. And and you are going to build a relationship that is unique to how you go about raising your dogs. It's it's gonna be that. And ain't you know, it's dope to see that you you are so invested in the bond you know, between you and your hunting dog, because at the end of the day, Sig's still a hunting dog. He got to get the job done. Oh yeah, for sure. And I just want to do pay homage. And I just want to like, make sure he can be the best dog that he was bred to be. And so that's why I think like, I'm, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. And I want to make him the best that, that he can be. And he he is all business. When I put that e-collar on him, he knows I grab that bag and he is ready to rock and roll, yep. but take that e-collar off. And man, he is the laziest dog <laughs> you will ever meet. Yep. So I yep. think at the end of the day, like we all love our dogs, regardless of, you know, whether they sleep outside or they sleep in a bed or, they have subscription boxes or no subscription boxes, but um, I just know that I have found a whole new passion and I am just so excited and motivated to just, you know, like get out there and just be infectious with everything that I know and want to learn everything from everybody. Yeah. I feel like you can always, learn something you always learn something from somebody and you can always take something from somebody Absolutely. and make it work for yourself. So Absolutely. and I'm just super excited that, you know, I'm part of Minority Outdoor Alliance and that you've taken me under your wing and I can call you my mentor, which is a huge honor. And I just, you know, I'm just so thankful in so many ways, Darrell, for everything that you've done thus far. Well thank you, Cam. I appreciate it. And and we have loads of more jokes to share and stories to share, so on and so forth. But Cammy, send yeah. us on out. Send us on out from the Gundog Notebook podcast. What you know, 
what's going on in your mind? What do we have for the future? You know, give us some inspiration on the way out. Um, so I would say stay tuned. We definitely Minority Outdoor Alliance um, has some huge projects in the works. Obviously, Darrell's dropped a little bit of a of a of a breadcrumb about October of 2021. So definitely listen and stay tuned for details on that. And just, I mean, if you are in any way interested in the outdoors, hunting, angling, I just super encourage everybody to reach out to whether it's through social media um through local game and fish just get involved start a conversation with somebody because you have no idea where it's going to take you six years ago had you told me i was going to be on a podcast with darrell smith and talking about upland hunting about me owning a short hair i would have looked at you like you were crazy but here we are. And I'm just excited. I'm, ex- I'm excited for what the future holds. I'm excited to come back down to Georgia. I'm excited to work with my dog and potentially start running field trials and getting another dog. And, you know, who knows, maybe having a kennel in, you know, five years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There there's, no lim- there's no limit. There's there, no limit. There is really, truly no limits, Cammie. And I'm glad I'm, yeah. I am I'm geeked up off of your excitement, so thank you. <laughs> yes. So thank well, you, you. Are, you are more than welcome, Darrell. Well, I appreciate it. All right, folks. Well, that's another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast with Cami LCC. And and, and we're gonna catch y'all next week, man. All right. Till then and before we leave, guys, I wanna just make sure you guys remember to check out Onyx Hunt. Check out those features in the app. Use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off that Onyx subscription. Guys, check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Make sure that you are mindful of the heat in these dogs. Um, check out those links and everything that I put in earlier commercials. Um, also, AYA Fine Guns. I want to thank them, of course, for my wonderful quail gun net 410 um aya is just the finest of the finest of the finest and as an artist i understand how important it is to really invest yourself in craftsmanship um biometric supplements guys make sure you use my promo code gundog10 get yourself some biometrics and pair that up with the yukonuba sporting dog and you will be in for a good time and your dogs will thank you for it dakota 283 kennels use my promo code tgdn10 Go check them out. Make sure you get yourself a G3 medium. That is my preferred, that is my recommendation for anybody that has a dog 60 pounds or under. Um, Also to Garmin, of course, I want to thank Garmin for my new TT15s and uh, my 200i system. So with that being said, guys, make sure you go check out Cable Gangs as well. And I think we are off to a good start with getting getting this thing back rocking and rolling for the summer guys so check out um all of these wonderful sponsors and affiliates and i'm looking forward to seeing you guys next week